moment just underway. Speaks to Crook. Tyson showing no fear, no respect at all here in round one. And Michael here, and no respect by Tyson for any jabs or anything that Mike. Well, Michael Spinks was successful against Larry Holmes a long time and Jerry Cooney. The right hand lands to the head of Mike Spinks. It's Tyson all the way here in round number one. Vicious shots landing in, but he's taking them. The uppercut. Body shot. Down goes. Mike and eight. That was a body shot that took it. Mike's in. He leaves with the right hand. Down he goes. How did you get up from this? Mike Spinks is laying flat on his back. And eight. He won't be able to do it. It's all over. That night, Tyson was as good as any fighter has ever been when they got in that ring. Complete, supreme confidence, power, aggression, command, being a boss, but smart, too. I mean, that first knockdown, he goes in there, he hits him with a uppercut. Then he goes over and he finds the opening. He's calm enough to find the opening for the body shot. Then later, he understands after he gets up. When he goes in for the finish, he goes in there so relaxed, and he knows that Spinks' best punch is the right hand, so he's ready for it. And he makes the right hand miss, bang, he counters with his own right hand. That's intellect. That's the whole package. That night, Tyson was as good as any heavyweight has ever been. Does anybody remember that fight? I was about 12 years old or so when, when that fight happened. I, I remember that. Tyson, back in the day... Tyson was ferocious, right? They, they, they used to call him the boogeyman because people were literally afraid of him. I don't know about you guys, but I love watching sports highlights. Even if I've watched something live, if I watched a, a hockey game live or a football game, I will still catch the highlights. And one of the things that I love about the highlights is I love when the expert comes on and they break down what, what you just saw. They, they analyze what led to the victory, what led to the, to the defeat. These were the, the mistakes that were made, and these are the things, the areas where, um, you know, the advantage was, 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 was taken. You know, and it's, it's those things that the expert explains that the casual fan doesn't quite catch or maybe doesn't quite understand. Like Teddy Atlas explained here, how, how he said he said Tyson made the shift to the right and hit him with the body shot. I didn't, I wouldn't have caught that that thought process that he had, and then I didn't realize until I watched the analysis and the, and the breakdown where he said that Spinks's best punch was the right uppercut, and Tyson knew that and he was waiting for it, and so he dodged it and then moved in for an uppercut on his own, and it was the counter punch knockout. Now I know you might be like, okay. <laughs> What on earth does this have to do with church? Today I'm going to analyze and break down, walk through the highlights, so to speak, of one of the biggest defeats of one of the Bible's greatest warriors. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to look at a snapshot of the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Starting at verse number one. It says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. 
So David sent and inquired about the woman, and he said, is, and, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Verse 5, The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. David was an incredible warrior. He was hand chosen to be king over Israel. And in fact, unite Israel and Judah into one kingdom. Because before David, they were split into two kingdoms. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Jesus is even referred to as the son of David. Meaning that he comes from the line and the lineage of David. David David's a big deal in, 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 you know, in, in the Bible. He's a significant man. And it's no small thing to say that a man was after God's own heart. David, in this highlight, the snapshot of his life, was in a fight for his purity, and he lost. This is a fight that we all face. It's often a fight that we don't like to talk about. David fell hard. And it seems as though when we read through these five verses in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that he didn't even realize that he was in a fight. Because it, it doesn't even seem like he tried to defend himself. It was like he was led in, like a, almost like a lamb to the slaughter. Otto van Bismarck said this, Only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise learn from the mistakes of others. Experience is a very costly teacher. Sure, you can learn some lessons when you make your own mistakes, but oftentimes it's going to cost you time. It's probably going to cost you some finances, and it most definitely is going to cost you some relationships. So today, let's be the wise. Let's learn from David's mistakes. The first that mistake that David made was David was idle. See, it says when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. David's the king. He should not have been home. See, David wasn't focused. Each one of us, every one of us sitting here today, we are all called to a purpose. I like to, I like to refer to it as your destiny. See, your destiny in Jesus is what he's put inside of you. That thing that you were created to do and to accomplish. It takes work. It takes effort. And when we say yes to Jesus and we give our lives to him and we begin to live for him, that purpose, that destiny comes alive inside of us. And then we have the responsibility, number one, to discover what that destiny is, what that purpose is, and then to pursue it so that we can fulfill that destiny, we can walk it out. David's destiny was to lead Israel as king. It was to guide the entire nation. It was to defend it. It was to lead his people into prosperity, into safety, into righteousness, and into the ways of the Lord. This was David's responsibility. This was his purpose and his calling. But here it says that David stayed home. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was called to do. Instead of being on the offensive, out at war, he was at home with his feet up. He was relaxing. See, you can't be in a fight and be idle because you're not focused. Nothing good comes when we're just idle. Now what this does not mean, and what I'm not referring to, 
This does not mean that we work ourselves into the ground. That we don't take any time off, that we don't rest, we don't spend time with our, with our wife and our kids and on vacation and we just work, 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 work. What it does mean is when the sun is shining, that's when we work. See, there's a time to rest and there's a time to work and to be about the Father's business. And to be about the Father's business is going to be different for each one of us because that means you're pursuing the purpose, the destiny that God has put inside of you. But when we're just lazing around, when we're just wasting the days away, when we're kicked back out on the couch, phone in hand, and we are just scrolling through social media, and the next thing you know, we've lost an hour, two hours, just by scrolling. When we're binge-watching entire seasons or series Season after season, binge-watching entire shows. This is a thing where people will binge-watch an entire show. Not a series. Not just a couple episodes. From episode 1 to episode 85. And they just watch them all back to back to back. And you know, that that's when like Netflix comes on with a little message across the screen. It says, are you still watching? See, when we're, when we're just, and see, that's not resting. That's being idle. And when we're idle, temptation creeps up on us ever so subtly. See, when we're idle, we're not focused. And that's when we are vulnerable. Maybe we don't know so we can speculate, but maybe David was just tired. Maybe he did run himself into the ground. He didn't look after himself, so he needed to stay home. Maybe because he literally couldn't go on. Sometimes, sometimes we do work ourselves so hard that our bodies shut down and our bodies force rest upon us. This is called burnout. So we can't allow ourselves to burn out by not taking care of ourselves. Self-care is a real thing. You have to look after yourself. You can't work seven days a week, 12-hour days, you know, eat, work, sleep, repeat. I had a friend that I, I worked with in, in college. I haven't talked to him in probably 15 years. He reached out to me on, on Facebook. A little message popped up and said, hey, how are you doing? And so we messaged back and forth, asked him how he was, asked him how his, his family is. And... Uh, he said, well, me and my wife, we went through a really difficult time uh, the last several years. He's like, I haven't changed much. Eat, work, sleep, repeat. And so he got stuck in this cycle, and his family suffered. We have to remind ourselves that, yes, we are important. You are important. You have important things to do, but also... We are not the answer to every problem. I am not Jesus. Say that with me. I am not Jesus. Because sometimes we get caught in this complex, this thought process. It's, you know, the savior complex. Where I, I, need, to, I need to save them. I need to do this. If, if I don't do this, then who will? I don't know who will. 
But it doesn't mean it's your responsibility, even if nobody does, because you're not God. You are not everything to all people at all times. And if you live like that, you will suffer, and your family will suffer, and your marriage, your relationships, your children, they will suffer. Because I'm no good to anybody if my body shuts down from burnout because I can't say no and I absolutely have to rest. It's not impressive to hear of people that work 60, 70 plus hours a week. That doesn't, that doesn't impress me. People that don't make time for their spouses, for their children, for their friends, for recreation, for hobbies. People that don't make time just to sit back and laugh with friends. See, oftentimes I find that we, we in the church are, are guilty of glorifying the ones that have burned out. Their body has forced them to take months off at a time in order to recover and to recuperate. And then we glorify the lessons that they have learned and how God restored them. I mean, we need to share those stories for sure because there's people out there that that's their life. That they have burned out and they don't see a way forward. So we need to share those stories. But what I'm really impressed with is people that have boundaries. That impresses me. People that know how to say this word, no. In, 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 our, in our family, in, in our marriage, Renee and I early, we established this, that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything else, right? Because you can't be in multiple places at once. You can only be in one place at a time. So if, if I said yes to traveling to another church, another opportunity, a speaking engagement, then I'm saying no to time with my family, Right? So you have to be careful of what we say yes to because as you say yes, you also communicate no. What we need to hold up as the standard, what we need to hold up as, as, as like, look, look at this, is those that finished well. Those that didn't go off the rails. Those that didn't burn themselves out. They stayed true to Jesus and they finished well. One of the people that I look to in my life, and I'm like, man, I, I want to do that. I want to I end like that, is Billy Graham. Because he lived a good life. Did he do everything perfect? No. Did he make some mistakes? Sure. But, you know, for somebody who was a high-profile, you know, person, who, like not many people in America don't know who Billy Graham is or around the world. But he did not have a moral failure. He did not lose his family. He finished well. Jesus often withdrew from the crowds to quiet or solitary, or sometimes the Bible will say lonely places, so that he could be alone with the Father. He was resting. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if there is anyone ever that had more demands placed on their life than Jesus. I know we've all got responsibilities and we've all got, you, we, you know, if you're a, maybe, maybe you're a, a business owner or you're a manager in your, in your, in your job and things rest on you. Literally, like, if, if, if you fail, the whole thing fails. I get it. We have responsibilities and there's stress. But Jesus, with everything that, that rested on him and all the people pulling on him, wherever he went, there was crowds of multitudes of people 
he still went away alone and he rested and he set the model for his friends. When he sent the disciples out, right, he sent them out to, to minister. When they came back in, he said, let's go away by ourselves to a place where we can rest because he recognized that they were tired and that they needed that downtime to recover. He prioritized rest. David was idle when he should have been active. He didn't realize it, but the fight for his purity was on the line and he wasn't focused. David's second mistake was that he was interested. So David is at home, wandering around on his roof. The roofs in, in those days were, were flat tops, so he's wandering around on his, on his roof and he sees a woman bathing. And it says that the woman was very beautiful in appearance. David didn't recognize the setup. That's what this was. This was a setup. He wasn't focused and he didn't recognize it. See, in his idleness, David saw a woman bathing. Now let's, let's be clear. We all see things. It's impossible not to see things unless you're a hermit and you live in the mountains alone. You're going to see stuff. It's not always ex as extreme as, as someone, you know, bathing. Maybe it's just a post online. Or maybe it's a scene in a movie or a TV show. Or maybe it's, it's someone that's dressed provocatively. See, seeing is one thing. But here it says that David not only saw, but was interested enough to notice that she was very beautiful. He didn't just see. David watched. I also want to clarify that this was on David. It's not Bathsheba's fault. She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't tempt David. She was minding her own business. Maybe she was doing self-care of her own. She had a long day and she was, you know, self-care. When David saw, he should have left the area. But instead, his interest was piqued. Huh. And he stared. He stood there and he watched. We are responsible for what we look at. I am responsible for what I look at. It's not that, and listen, it's not that you have to live with blinders on like they put horses on so you can't see anything. But there's a difference between seeing and staring. I'm responsible to manage myself. See, we can't take that responsibility and put it off on someone else. Put it off on people and, and uh, what they wore and, and what was on that show or what, what they posted. I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for me. In Job chapter 31 and verse 1, Job says this, I made a solemn pact with myself to never undress a girl with my eyes. We must be vigilant with our eyes. Now, I just I also need to clarify that this isn't a guy fight. This is a humanity fight. Like men and women, teenagers, children. They, we, we all are in this fight for purity. This isn't just, I know our example, our story today is David and it's a guy, but there, there are women. You're in this fight too. See, for some, their eyes and what they see and what they stare at and what they watch, they lead them to sexual lust in their hearts. For others, maybe their eyes, what they see, what they look at, what they watch, it leads them into places of greed and envy. 
we have to guard our eyes. David allowed what he saw to capture his interest. And he stopped what he was doing and he just watched. Now, maybe, maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're thinking, looking's not a big deal. What's the big deal? I'm not hurting anybody. Who's getting hurt? Who needs to know? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at a woman who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If your right eye seduces you to fall into sin, then go blind in your right eye, for you're better off losing sight in one eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Now, it's a big deal. You might think, well, that sounds a little extreme. I was just looking, and now we're talking about my body being thrown into hell? In his fight for purity, David's eyes wandered. He's interested, and he has allowed the enemy to set him up for a devastating combination of punches because he didn't realize the setup. What you look at is a big deal. David's third mistake was he investigated. He not only was idle, wandering around on his rooftop when he shouldn't have even been home, he not only stood there, stared, and watched, but he called to one of his servants and said, hey, who is that? If this is a fight, David just dropped his gloves. David calls one of his people to ask who the woman was. See, as, his, as he's being set up, the gloves drop and he leaves himself open to a devastating hit. Following the lead of his lustful temptations. What this is, in modern day terms, this is clickbait. Now you might be like, okay, what? What's clickbait? Clickbait is, is, is a post or, or something online that's meant to grab your attention, your curiosity, and you're like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Click. Sometimes, sometimes like, the news does this often. I, I, I remember seeing one, one, one story one time. It said something, something about um, the dr dramatic increase in foot cancer. And we're like, wow, what, what is that all about? So you click it, and it's like, because people, we live in San Diego. How many people are wearing sandals even today, right? Your feet are in the sunshine. Of course there's an increase in skin cancer, in, in, in cancer on your foot. It was like, that was clickbait. Or, or, or this, you know, if you're, a, if, if you're a sports fan and you have a favorite team and someone posts something against your team, something negative, you're like, whoa, click. And what finds out is that the, 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 uh, the title of the post really has nothing to do with what was written. But they got you to click on it. See? You see the link, you see that thing, and out of curiosity, now you begin to investigate. What's this all about? I wonder, hmm, let me just take a closer look. Lust has already gripped the heart, and now David is allowing that lust to guide his decisions and his actions. David not only dropped his gloves, but he stuck his chin right out there. And he's just asking, who did it? See, we live in a society and a culture that's highly visual. And no one has to go looking for temptation. You don't have to go to look anywhere other than your pocket or your purse to find the temptation for your purity. Right? Can we just be real? Right? 20 years ago, you didn't have the temptation for your purity in your hand. Maybe you had to go to a store and you had to buy it. But now it just sits in your hand. And, well, you think it's private. Because, well, that's, that's my phone. Is like this is nobody else's business and what I'm looking at or what I'm doing on here. We have constant connection. 
but that's, that's not really how that works. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. That might be a scary verse depending on how you're choosing to live your life. Right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus is not out there looking just to expose people, looking just to pull the, the curtain back and, oh, look at, look at what they're doing so that everybody can turn and look. Oh, look at the, the, the latest, you know, big celebrity pastor who fell. Everybody turn and look. That's not, what, that's not what this is about. Jesus is exposing to save lives. Because here's the thing. Sin left in the dark leads to death. And so every time that I hear of a person whether it's a celebrity or, you know, the pastor of a mega church or, or someone down the street, a neighbor, that something comes out that was hidden and in the dark and it comes out to the light, what I see is I see the goodness of God because he loves them so much that he refuses to allow their lives to be completely destroyed. He refuses to allow that sin to stay in the dark because it will kill them. David's in trouble. David's in trouble. He asks someone, hey, who is that? David's in trouble, but he's also got somebody in his corner. Because the person, the servant that he asked to say, who, who is that? This person loves David. This person cares about David. And this is how you know, because this is the answer. Well, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He's saying, hey, David, that's somebody's wife. That's out of bounds. Hey, David, that's not just anybody's wife. That's your friend's wife. See, David and Uriah were friends. David and Uriah went to war together. They battled together. Uriah's listed in, in, I think it's 1 Samuel, where it lists out David's mighty men. There's Uriah's name. He was, he was heroic. He was brave. He was a mighty warrior. He did all these incredible things. Uriah's David's friend. And so the servant reminds, casually, you have to be king. David is king. Right? What the king says and does, that happens. So if he didn't like the answer, that person just disappeared. And so he says, hey, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. This man is in David's corner yelling for him. Gloves up, gloves up. Protect yourself. We all need a person in our corner. We all need a person in our corner that's willing to tell us the hard things that we really don't want to hear. Hey, hey, put your phone down. What are you looking at? Do your kids know what you're watching? Well, I'm an adult. Does that really matter? Just because you're an adult, should you be watching that? Hey, does, does your wife know where you are? Does your, does your husband know? Who you're having lunch with? We stand in our own blind spot. And sometimes we can't see the danger. We don't recognize it. We don't see it coming. So we need someone in our corner. We need someone in our corner saying, hey, lift your gloves up. Protect yourself. You're in danger. But the warning is ignored. And then the fourth mistake that David makes is David initiates he sent for her, and he slept with her, right? In, in fight terms, this is a TKO. This is a technical knockout. David is out. 
He's still standing on his feet, but he is out. If this is a boxing match, the ref is in there. He's calling the fight. He's holding on to David to make sure he doesn't fall and that he doesn't take more blows. See, when we allow ourselves to be tempted with impurity and with lust, and we do not shut it down, but we allow it to grow, this is the end. What started off as a look, as idleness and interest, led to investigation and and initiation. See, when we leave our purity unprotected, when we leave our guard down, we will get knocked out in the fight for purity. David sleeping with Bathsheba wasn't, you might think, well, that's where it went wrong. When he had sex with Bathsheba, that's not where it went wrong. Things started going wrong when David stayed home. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. See, there there are serious consequences. There are real consequences when we don't fight for our purity, when we are not focused, when we are not vigilant, when we don't protect ourselves. Relationships are devastated. Trust is lost. Character is destroyed. Addictions are developed. Here's David. He gets a message from Bathsheba. I'm pregnant. And now the cover-up is on. Because David thought what he did was in secret. But now the cover-up is on. And so David really, if you read following after verse 5, there's this long story about how David calls Bathsheba's husband home from war. Trying to, hey, you, you, you've worked hard. You need a break. Trying to, to create a situation where they, would, where they would sleep together. And that's, okay, that's Uriah's child, but Uriah was honorable. Uriah was loyal. Uriah knew his place wasn't at home, but it was on the battlefield, and he refused. So David sends him back to the battlefield with the death note in his pocket to give to his commander. They put him at the front of the battle lines, and and then David said, when the fighting is fierce, pull all of your men back, and Uriah was left to die. So then David married her. Oh, nobody knew. Somebody knew. God knew. Jesus always knows. Jesus sent a prophet whose name was Nathan. This was also a friend of David's. And he brought it out into the light. But the consequences of what David did, they went on for many, many, many years. Even after David repented. Even after he was put right in right standing with the Lord again, the consequences were still in his house. See, when we step back and we look at this passage of Scripture, we look at the highlights and we look at the analysis of where David went wrong, we can see how David lost the fight for his purity. So now we have to look. So we can see where it went wrong, but now we have to look and say, okay, what can we learn from David's four mistakes? And how do, we win, how do I win the fight for my purity? Because I don't want to end up like that. At the end of my life, I want to lay my head down on my pillow I want to close my eyes for the last time and I want to wake up in heaven and I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done. So then how do we win our fight for purity? Gloves up. Protect yourself. Have defense. Number one, be about the Father's business. Stay active in pursuing what God has for your life and rest before you burn out. There's a time for everything. There's a time to work and there's a time to rest. Don't ignore either one of those. Number two, guard your eyes. Because seeing temptation is not the problem. Staring at temptation is the problem. 
Number three, live in the light. Have at least one person in your life that knows everything. No secrets, no dark places, no hidden things. That one person in your life that knows everything. This is your corner person. This is your person that, that calls out and questions you on what you're doing and who you're talking to. The motives in your heart. This is the person that's in your corner that's looking out for your best interest. And they can't look out for your best interest if they don't know everything. And then there's the offense. Punch back. How do you punch back? You renew your mind. You begin to think God's thoughts about you. Phil Johnson uh, says, I can't afford to have any thought in my mind that's not in God's mind. I need to begin to think God's thoughts. Think God's thoughts about myself. Think God's thoughts about my life, my family, the world around me, my workplace, my church, my friends. I need to begin to think God's thoughts. How do I think God's thoughts? You think God's thoughts by regularly reading your Bible. Right? This isn't just, you know, I know, I'm sure if I asked, hey, what, what are, give me some things that Christians do. You know, this isn't just one of, the, one of those things. Well, they go to church, they pray, they read their Bibles, right? Those are the things that Christians do. This is, this is God's thoughts revealed to us, and we need to get these inside of us. I'm not saying you need to take, you know, an hour a day and read. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you sit down and you eat breakfast, and you've got 15 minutes in the morning when the house is kind of quiet, you pull your Bible out and you read. You just read until you're done. Or you read until something grabs your attention. Where God's saying, hey, look at this. That you get his thoughts in you. It changes how you think. It also changes how you respond to temptation. It also changes what tempts you. When you regularly read your Bible, when you grow in the word of God, and you grow in your relationship with Jesus, what you'll find is the things that used to tempt you, they don't tempt you anymore. Because you've overcome those things. Because you've got God's thoughts inside of you. You know, over the years, I've counseled a lot of people that have been on the losing end of the fight with purity. One young married man I knew, he started looking lustfully at, at women. Women just around him in public. That left unchecked led to an addiction to pornography, which led to him being active on dating sites while being married. And now him and his wife are in the fight of their lives just to save their marriage. Another married man I knew, I knew him later in life. He followed his interest. He was just, he was interested in women. He was a businessman. He traveled a lot. You know, when you travel and you're, and you're alone, again, I'm in another city. Nobody knows me. Who's, who's going to know? This led to him having multiple extramarital affairs, and he lost his marriage, he lost his kids. Another a newly married couple I knew, the husband allowed lust to grip his heart and to grip his mind, and it brought their marriage literally to the brink of 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 divorce, literally. Papers were being drawn up and God broke through and brought in forgiveness and reconciliation and restored the relationship and the marriage, pulling them back from the edge of 
relational destruction. I know I mentioned this earlier, like the examples that I give here, they're all men, but I want you to know this isn't a guy fight. So ladies, if you're here and you're in this fight and you're struggling, I want you to know you're not alone. I don't want you to sit here and think, man, I, he's just talking about guys. I don't know that women struggle like I do. I'm, I'm all, you're not alone. My wife Renee has counseled many women walking through the same issues of purity, the same way that I have counseled men. This is not a guy fight. This is not a girl fight. This is a humanity fight. And I mentioned last week, the enemy doesn't fight fair. Because he makes it look so appealing. He makes it look so innocent. But there's a very real hook underneath that bait. Let's close our eyes for just a moment as I close. First, I want to give an opportunity. If there's somebody here and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, kind of like I've been talking about off and on today, and you're like, you know what, I want to have that relationship. I want to give you an opportunity. So just slip your hand up so I, I want to pray with you. I want to know who I'm praying for. I never want to assume everyone's relationship with Jesus in a room. Holy Spirit, I ask and I invite you to come. The word tells us that you convict us towards righteousness. That you don't convict us to make us feel guilty or ashamed or embarrassed. But you convict us in a direction and that direction is toward righteousness. is towards right living and right standing with God. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict each and every one of us. For you and you alone know all the dark corners and parts of our hearts and our minds and I pray that you put your finger on the things in our lives where we have allowed temptation to take root in the area of impurity and that you put your finger on that and that you bring us to that place of repentance father where we would bring it before you and say Jesus forgive me heal me make me right and that you would break the strength that these things have in our lives. You will break the power of lust in our lives. Father, that we would be a people that lives for purity in a day where our culture and our society flows and falls off the cliff of impurity and lust and, and, and all of those things, God, that we would stand as people living differently, living pure lives before you. But we need you. We need your help. Purify us. Forgive us. Wash us clean. And I pray, God, that you would help us to defend ourselves and then to fight back. Lead us into that place of reading the word, of encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.